let's talk about this thing. This is what makes the internet so freaking awesome because you come across stories like this, you know, with podcasts and interviews and yada, 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 and people posting clips of this and clips of this. I mean, we are so friggin' lucky, you know. Um, I revel in the person that is Paul McCartney. He, to me, he is, as, as is described in the story, he is like a living God. He's a living legend. When you think about the fact that this man has a 60 year career, like shaped, you know, rock and roll and modern music and just everything that he did and that he's like a, just a person, just like you and I, to be in his presence, I can't even imagine, I would melt. I would melt from being in the path of greatness. I would melt being around him, you know, just like wouldn't be able to talk. I'd probably just disintegrate. Um, and so it's interesting to hear when someone who is famous has enough juice that they can cross paths with Paul McCartney. Because it's one thing to be famous, but then it's another thing to be a living icon like Paul McCartney. And that's the thing about like famous people, they have the ability to get into these places and they're still, even though they're famous, they have, you know, they don't think of themselves necessarily as famous when standing next to a guy like Paul McCartney. And so this story is from Chris Jericho. It's from, here, let's pop, pull it up. I'm not going to even, no, no preamble here. This is from Guitar World. What is this Guitar World? Let's take a look. This is from ultimateguitar.com. And I'm not sure if it is a, yeah, I'm not sure if this is supposed to be like, um, what's it called? Uh, a, a forum or if it's an article, it's something. But this is Chris Jericho recalling how Beatles icon Paul McCartney behaved at a rock, and, a rock hall party and how he told him to go away. Here's the thing about Paul McCartney. He's at a level now, much like Ringo Starr too, these guys, they don't want to sign autographs. They don't want to take pictures. They've been taking pictures for six decades. They're done. They're super done. So unless it's like behooves them in some way, shape or form, or if it's like a press thing or whatever, like they're not just like when they're walking down the street, you come up to Paul McCartney with your cell phone and you say, hey, Paul, can I take a picture? He doesn't want to do that. And I've heard many different stories about like him being like super, super nice about it to being super assertive. You can't say that he's being mean about it because and yes at the same time it's like this is the price of fame there's a lot of people that would just be like well serves you right paul like you're famous like this is what you get i mean this is part of the baggage of being worth over a billion dollars and being loved by all you've got to take pictures you got to do it for the rest of your life and i think there, that there's definitely an element of that that of that being like you know valid <clears throat> But then there's the other side of me who also is just like, well, I mean, these are human beings. He's still a human being. Human beings have limits. And, you know, I mean, there's sometimes you just want to walk. You, you wish you could just walk down the street and not be accosted by a person every five minutes. I think, I think where it really gets out of control is like the eating thing. If you're sitting and eating a meal, it doesn't matter who you are, famous, not famous. And I've seen famous people get approached by people when they're sitting and eating. I used to work at pf chang's i was used to be a, a server and later i was a manager at pf chang's and we had um what's it called the baseball guy um from a uh, yankees guy uh mario mariano riviera is that his name mariano riviera yeah that's his name mariano who i sort of was on a first name basis a little bit like very 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 casually like he wouldn't 
actually, he did. I bumped into him at the supermarket. He remembered who I was. In any case, I, I'm not starstruck by baseball players because I don't give a shit about sports and I don't know anything. But when Mariano Rivera would come in to eat, everybody would be like shaking in their boots because he's like in the Hall of Fame. He's like as he's as big as Babe Ruth was, you know, like he's like this huge, huge tour de force of a guy in the baseball world. Uh, and, and I had his table. I had his party. He, he always came with like 30, 40 people dropping so much money, yada, yada, yada. Um, and and I, everyone's like, oh my God, you're about to wait on Mariano Riviera. It didn't, didn't matter to me. But he is like the Paul McCartney of baseball for some people. It would be like me waiting on Paul McCartney. Like I would die, you know, in that kind of situation. But I would watch people come up to Mariano Riviera all the friggin' time and take, ask to take pictures. People would come up to me and they go, hey, is that Mariano Riviera? And I would always, I was very protective of him. And I always say, I don't, I don't know who that is. I don't know. No, that's not him. Or I'd say, no, it's not him. I'd always try and like, you know, be a buffer zone just out of decency. But you want to know what's interesting about Mariano? Never once. This guy would be in the middle of eating Mongolian beef. Jeff, where is my Mongolian beef? I'm cooking it as fast as I can, Mariano. That was always like a joke. Um, he'd be sitting there eating his Mongolian beef or Northern Sparrows or whatever. Love the Fiesta Breeze iced tea, chock full of ice. Um, and people would just come up to him and take pictures and he would never hesitate to take a picture no matter how inappropriate the situation was. And I always thought like, wow, that guy is like, good, like um, that's an incredible, incredible thing because that's not easy to do. You know what I mean? Especially if you're out to eat with your wife and your kids and your, your entourage and your family. Uh, so I always like, I was always blown away by his, his, what it is, what I thought it was, was generosity being so gracious and generous because he's a public figure. However, as I said, I don't blame Paul McCartney for just wanting to sit and have a meal or just not wanting to take a picture every five seconds because the, the, it sets a precedent. If I take a picture with you, I got to take a picture with him and I got to take a picture with him. And Paul McCartney is the kind of guy, he's walking down the street, everybody's going to crowd him and want to take a picture. He once turned Howard Stern down from taking pictures with him. You know, I think all of this preamble is context for the story greatly because it kind of helps you understand both sides of it. And it's a, it's a great, I think this is a great story. I mean, this is the stuff that I live for truly, you know, um, he, he wants, he, how he had been on Howard Stern three times. Howard Stern wanted to get an autograph or a photo for his daughter or with his daughter or something. He turned Howard Stern down back to Howard motherfucking Stern. Howard Stern is the Paul McCartney radio. You know what I'm saying? Howard Stern is a big icon, you know, and, and even he was, was rebuffed by Paul McCartney. So it's like, it's like, that's how large of a presence Paul McCartney is. So that's the setup for the story. Let's, let's go into it now. All right. During a conversation with Anthrax drummer, Charlie uh, Bennett, Fozzie frontman and wrestling star, Chris Jericho, who has his own podcast. And he's a very personable, he's a very personable guy. Really nice guy from everything that I've heard and seen of him. Um, uh, talk, he's, he talked about Paul McCartney remembering his 2015 encounter with the Beatles icon. Jericho said, when Ringo Starr got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I know a lady who, she's not working for him now, but she was high up working for Jan Wenner. Jan Wenner is the, 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 the guy behind Rolling Stone magazine. He did that infamous John Lennon interview in 1971, you know, right around the beginning of beginnings of the magazine and sits on the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and yada, yada, yada. And her family 
were big wrestling fans and big Chris Jericho fans. So I happened to meet her at the garden and she said, listen, if I can ever do anything to repay you, because I'm always nice to everybody. That's what Jericho is explaining to the, to the anthrax number, because he's always nice to everybody, fans, especially kids. And she was like, listen, thank you for meeting my kid. I work for the Hall of Fame. If you ever need anything, and it just so happens that your Kiss was going in. So Jericho is a big Kiss fan. He's talking about how, well, coincidentally, Kiss is being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I would like to be there. So he took his cousin, Chad. He says, so I went with my cousin, Chad, and we went and saw Kiss get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we had so much fun. We said, let's go every year. And when you have that kind of juice, when you have this established connection, now all of a sudden Chris Jericho can go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame whenever he wants. Um, he says... We'll make it like an annual thing for me and him to go and hang out. So we went two or three years. And then one year, Ringo got in. So this is when Ringo was inducted for Rock and Roll Fame, which I always thought was kind of, it was kind of like an honorary thing because all the other Beatles got inducted individually. They got inducted as the Beatles, I believe, in 1987 or 1988. The first year, you have to be a band or exist for 25 years before you can even be considered for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, and Ringo was the only one that was not in. And I guess it was like an honorary thing because he didn't really do anything in his solo career. I, was, I love Ringo. Don't get me wrong. But did he do enough? Did he do stuff in his solo career that warranted being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo act? I don't think so. But it was still nice that they're putting him in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame anyway. I think it's good. I think maybe just to acknowledge his, you know, contributions to drumming outside of his work with the Beatles. I think for that reason alone, he should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So it is valid in that kind of way. Um, so Ringo got in, we're allowed to stand on the floor because Betsy from Rolling, Rolling Stone gets us those passes. So they have floor passes where you can just stand, but if you want to sit at a table, then you got to pay. He says, but there's nowhere to sit because you have to pay like 10 grand a seat just to be at the tables. It costs money. And you know, when, when the, when the Sex Pistols got induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, and Johnny Rotten, John Lydon was very famously was like wrote a letter saying we don't accept and screw you yada 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 part they were they were sort of chafed by the fact that they had to pay to be told how great they were by the rock and roll hall of fame and that sat wrong with him and so he spoke for the rest of the band because you gotta pay so it's basically like paying someone to tell you how great you are at least in the eyes of johnny rotten so so chris jericho says so we're in the back and we're kind of and we kind of had to be walking here and walking there. You know, they're like shuffling around, yada, yada, yada. And I noticed, though, when bands played, everybody stood up and no one knows who's supposed to be where. So there's like, it's like scattered chaos. Or my, you know, it's like if you're at a, at a show, you know, with stadium seating where everybody, every, everything's assigned seats. And in the chaos, when everybody stands up or clapping or yada, 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 you can kind of slink your way and sneak up to the front of whatever section you're in to get a better view. Uh, that happens all the time. And so this is, I think this is something similar. And I noticed though, that when bands played, everybody stood up and no one knows who's supposed to be where, sorry, yeah. No one knows who's supposed to be where. And my cousin is on it. We've been doing this for years. So as soon as everybody stands up, to, uh, stood up to see Green Day, Green Day was performing, Green Day perform, I said, let's go to the front. Cause we had seen Paul and Ringo and Olivia, George Harrison's widow and Yoko Ono at the very front table. So, so we walked straight to the front. I remember I saw Dave and Dave is friends with Paul McCartney. They collaborated. Fr Paul McCartney like fronted a reunited Nirvana as, as well as Nirvana could reunite with, with, without Kurt Cobain. 
and they did a track called, I think, Come and See or something, a phenomenal track. And I, I was, I nicknamed it, I called it affectionately Paul Vanna. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I, what a great, what a great idea. And they performed live at the Super Bowl as well. So Dave is really good friends. And they were, they, it was for that documentary that Dave did about the, the recording console, uh, sound studios or something. So, so Dave, uh, so Dave Grohl is there. Uh, and, and Jericho says, we walked straight to the front. I remember so, saw Dave. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Dave Grohl, Kid Rock, what's up, dude? And people kind of, uh, people kind of staring at you, but you act like you're supposed to be there, which is something that Steve Jones, again, to bring up the Sex Pistols again, Steve Jones talks about his blanket of invisibility. And it's true. It's this mentality that when you go where you're not supposed to be, when you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, if you, if you, if you, uh, exude, if you ooze confidence, if you have confidence in whatever it is that you're doing, if you, if you act like you're doing, like what you're doing is something that you're supposed to be doing, nobody is going to question you. It's not going to raise any red flags. A great example is like, if you're going to sneak into a movie theater, walk into the theater, like you have a ticket in your pocket. Because if you walk into the theater looking like you don't have a ticket in your pocket, then someone's going to be like, that guy looks like he doesn't have a ticket. If somebody walks straight in, they're not, they, someone's walking, uh, a security person or whatever, the, the ticket taker is going to be like, well, he's walking so confidently. He's not even going to stop and let me question him. He must have a ticket in his pocket. It's like this, this confidence thing. I don't know if that made any sense, but that's what Steve Jones was saying. I have this, he had a blanket of invisibility that when he, he acted with this certain confidence, he was invisible to anybody who might blow a whistle on him. Um, so he's talking about, you just have to act like you're supposed to be there. How's it going, man? Good to see you. You know, rubbing shoulders with all these people, Kid Rock and Dave Grohl. Um, Chris Jericho says, they don't know who you are. And we went right to the front and I'm standing right behind Paul and Ringo. Oh my God. Could you imagine? Doesn't matter who the fuck you are. Could you imagine just being right there and being like, those are the fucking Beatles. Those are the guys I've seen their pictures. I've listened to their songs. They've been doing this for long, as long as a 60-year-old man has been alive. Think about that. As long as someone who is 60 years old, that's an old man. You know what I'm saying? Be like, that guy's an old man. But these guys have been doing it since he was a baby. Like, that is legendary. That is friggin' legendary. And Ringo, Ringo's amazing. He looks like, I mean, there is something to be in vegetarian, man. Because, like, Ringo, he's like 80 years old. The dude looks like he's in his 50s. You know what I mean? Like he looks really, really young. Looks like 30 years younger, found a youth. Kind of crazy. So he says, I'm standing right behind Paul and Ringo and there's this energy. He's fucking godlike. Yes, he is. And Green Day was doing American Idiot. And it goes, hey, I don't know if that's how American Idiot goes, but I'm trying to approximate it. And everybody's going, hey. So they're they're participating with the with the chorus of the song. And Paul's doing it too. He's super into it. Hey. Hey, you know, he's doing the haze, which I think is, it, it is, it is cool, Paul. He says, and, and Jericho admires, admires that. Uh, and Paul's doing it too. He's super into it. Hey, hey. So when it was done, he starts walking down towards the bathroom uh, on one of the sides of the tables. And I'm like, here's my moment. And I walk down the other side of the tables. So Jericho is clocking Paul McCartney. And you have to imagine. <laughs> Paul McCartney must be so used to people clocking him. Famous people in general know when you're clocking them. What does clocking mean? It means you're making eye contact and like you're aware 
It's like if they look at you, they know that you are aware of who they are and their presence and your body language. It's not a look. It's not anything you're saying, and it's not anything necessarily you're thinking. It is an aura. It is an energy that you are giving off as a person who is coming in contact with someone who who clearly intimidates them or clearly intimidates you or you have respect for or revere in some way, shape, or form. It's just something, it's something that you can't control. And famous, really famous people, they're aware of it. Kevin Smith talks about how he diffuses this all the time. He says, he asks the person who's approached him, do you want to take a picture? Which is so cool with Kevin Smith, if you ask me. And it's just kind of like this thing where it's like, I'm going to sort of break the ice, diffuse the situation and move along this non-monetary transaction of being famous. I have to, I have, I'm going to take a picture with you, but I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to like say the thing that you want to say, but you can't get out and skip all this stuff because I got a line of people that want to do the same thing that you're doing, but I want you to feel special. I want you to have that moment. So that's clocking, right? And Paul McCartney must have a radar built in the back of his head. He knows, and he's got guys, he's got bodyguards, he's got people around him, especially after John Lennon being murdered right outside of Dakota, you know, December 9th, 1980, one of the most tragic things that ever happened in the history of rock and roll. You know what I mean? Like, like you've got to think that Paul has contingencies and is aware. He's always aware of his surroundings. You don't know who, and then, and then George got stabbed in the nineties, 1997. He was stabbed in, in his bed. He was sleeping in his own bed, you know, just like, crazy guy jumps on you and think that's what happens when you're a beetle, you know, it's kind of insane. And so, and so Paul is walking to the bathroom and Jericho thinks this is my moment. Um, and he starts walking down the other side of the tables. So finally, Chris Jericho says, so finally we meet in the middle. Oh, wow. Paul, nice to see you here. Wasn't green day. Great. He's trying to break the ice with Paul McCartney. And Paul McCartney responds, oh, oh, yeah, they were great, man. It was awesome. And I'm trying to think of something witty to say. This is Jericho talking. He had a security guard in front of him, speaking of the, the contingency plan, right? And, and Jericho says, and I said, listen, I see you've got your security guard in front of you. I said, I'm behind you. So if any ninjas are coming to attack you, I'll fend them off. And he was kind of looking at me like, all right, man. And then I go, high five, Paul. And he high fives me. This is cringe. And I'm sure Jericho must recognize that he's being cringe right now. Jericho seems like a very down-to-earth kind of guy. And again, it's like, what do you saying? He's trying to figure out what to say to Paul McCartney. Totally understandable. Like, I don't know what the fuck I would say to Paul McCartney. You know, I would just be like, I'd never forget, you know, elsewhere on my channel, I told the story about how I met Joey Santiago, one of my favorite guitarists of all time. And I literally, words could not come out of my mouth. I was so in reverence of him. And it was like this moment where I literally... Like, it was such a rare thing. Like, I, I knew this was my one chance to ever talk to Joey Santiago, and I had to take it. I'd seen the, that band so many times before. They are never outside. They're never, ever outside. So here's my chance now to finally talk to, to, to Joey Santiago, and my tongue is tied. So I can understand. I can relate to, what, to, to an approximation of what Chris Jericho might have been going through in some way, shape, or form. So he's saying high five, Paul. That's so lame. That is lame. Jericho is lame. Um, and so he's going high five, Paul, and he high fives me. Uh, so go to later on in the night, 
and the show was done and we go to the after party. So there's the after party. There are the after parties and there's, and can you imagine what these after parties are like where, imagine be, just getting famous. If you just become famous, you got your song like top 10 and you go to one of these after parties for the first time and you're, it's like literally going into a record store but instead of seeing everybody's records, you're seeing the actual people and they're talking with each other. So instead of being in a record store and seeing like some crazy crossover album, like the Grateful Dead with Bob Dylan or Elvis Costello and Paul McCartney or yada, 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 it's those actual people talking to each other in a room because you are at an after party. So he's hanging out at an after party, Jericho added. And, 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 and Paul is sitting with Joe Walsh and their wives. Joe Walsh is the brother-in-law of Ringo Starr because their wives are sisters. So uh, Barbara Bach's sister is married to Joe Walsh. And Joe Walsh collaborate, I think he's collaborated with the guy from the Eagles, I think. Uh, he, he's collaborated with um, Ringo Starr a whole ton in his Ringo Starr band and uh, has worked with Paul McCartney in various ways, always rubbing shoulders. Every time there's like a, like some sort of honor and they're, they're doing Beatles songs. You see Joe Walsh is always up there with Jeff Lynn and yada, yada, yada. So it's like one of those types of things. Um, so sitting with, with, with Joe Walsh, once again, clocking, he's clocking Paul McCartney. Well, Paul McCartney probably is disarmed at this point. Cause once you're in like the after party, you gotta be somewhat disarmed. It's like, okay, I'm amongst other famous people like me who kind of understand a little bit of what it's like to be, to be me. No one can actually understand what it's like to be me except for Ringo Starr, who's the only other person in the entire world. That's why these guys are like soulmates. They're the last two Beatles. They're like soulmates because forevermore, forever since 1962, the August 22nd, 1962, only these two guys know what it is like to be them. This is their 59 years, man. 59 fucking years. It's crazy. I mean, I get worked, worked up just like talking about it, thinking about it. Um, so Paul gets, uh, gets up to grab some cheese off of the buffet, which is interesting because I know Paul McCartney's a vegetarian, but I don't know if he's a cheese-eating vegetarian. There's different levels of vegetarianism. And, you know, some vegetarians don't eat cheese, but maybe they eat eggs. Or some vegetarians eat cheese, but they don't eat eggs. You know, various different things. I didn't know that Paul McCartney ate cheese. I thought he was kind of like more vegan-ish than vegetarian. Um, so Paul gets up to grab some cheese off of the buffet. Or maybe it's just a, a detail that Jericho is throwing in, but doesn't really know if that is what he is getting. And everybody comes up around to kind of bother him and whatever. So even in this after party, even with your guard kind of down, you're still getting bothered by other famous people because that's how fucking famous Paul McCartney is. He's so famous that other famous people who probably feel more confidence, more entitled to talk to him because they're thinking maybe that I'm not on the same level as Paul McCartney, but I still can approach Paul McCartney because I am a famous person that he might recognize, that he might read about in the paper and know who it is, who I am. And you kind of see Billy Joel from around that time, not Billy Joel, uh, uh, Billy Joel Armstrong from Green Day, He's kind of like has his arm around Paul McCartney at that event. It was at that event. There's some like behind the scenes footage on YouTube. And you kind of get that feeling that like he's trying to do that. And of course, Paul McCartney knows who, who Green Day is. They're both in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Although I don't think Green Day should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But that's another story for another day. The fact that, that the Descendants are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but Green Day is, it's crazy. It's crazy. They put way too much emphasis on, on, on sales, if you ask me. They should put more influence. They should put more emphasis on influence of music than they should on sales. That's my opinion, because you can't, you can't argue with the fact that Green Day has, you know, gone quadruple platinum twice 
with, with Dookie and American Idiot. It's kind of amazing. They did it 10 years apart from each other. There's clearly something there. There's clearly some sort of talent. So Paul gets up and grabs some cheese off of the buffet, says Jericho, and everybody comes around and kind of bothers him, whatever. So I've done this before. I did it with Bill Murray. I actually did it with Lars before we were friends, Lars Ulrich from Metallica, where I go up and say, dude, do you need help with these people if you want to get out of here? Which I also think is kind of cringy. I mean, look, you're, it's like, it sounds like it's, like it's like a guy who is famous, but like feels like he thinks that other famous people want to hear this kind of stuff. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. It kind of sounds like he's trying to talk to like the hot girl at the party being bothered by all the dudes who are drooling over him, trying to be like a, like a white knight kind of guy, like, are these guys bothering you? Let me get you out of here, which is a very noble thing. And I really, you know, it's a service that, that a lot of bartenders will do. If a bartender sees a woman in distress and leaves them a little napkin saying, is this guy bothering you? Cause he's giving me the creeps. Yada, yada, yada. I think that's like a, that's, that's a good thing. That's what we need in this country, male or female bartenders. In any case, he's kind of doing that with, with Paul McCartney because he did it with Bill Murray. I, who knows how Bill Murray might've responded to that. Jericho doesn't mention it in the story. Maybe Bill Murray, Bill Murray might be a kind, Bill Murray rubs, rubs elbows with, you know, the, the, the average man uh, all the time. So like, I, I kind of find it hard to believe that Bill Murray would, would, would um, uh, appreciate a gesture like that, let alone Paul McCartney. So I go over to Paul and I say, listen, everybody's bothering you. If you need, I'll help you. I'll help. I'll help you get you out of here. And he goes, listen, who are you? Are you a cameraman? Are you security? Who are you? And he goes, listen, if I need any help with the ninjas, I'll let you know. Until then, I'm cool. You got it? And he was nice, but I think he thought I was some kind of stalker. No, Jericho. Here's what I think he thought. I think that he thought, he just didn't know who you were, dude. You were approaching him as a famous person, a, a person of note with a much lower profile than him. And while he may be, have a lot of different people on his radar, because he's fucking Paul McCartney, he clearly didn't know who you are. So you approached him as a famous person trying to talk to an even more famous person, and he thought you were just some guy. And as you said, he thought you were some kind of just whatever, some kind of joke. He didn't know who you were. And it was annoying him that you were trying to connect with him on that kind of level. And do I actually know that? No, I'm not a Paul. I'm not, I don't have any telepathy into Paul McCartney's mind, but just from what I've read so much, because I've read so much about Paul McCartney and seen and heard and, and all the stuff we're talking about, that's what it seems like. That's what I glean as a commentator analyzing the situation as a guy on YouTube. <laughs> um, and he goes, listen, if I, so he remembered the ninja thing and that's what Jericho loved that. He goes, and all I could think of when he said was, and all I could think of when he said that was, fuck, he remembered the ninjas. My line worked, which I also think is like, is that really what you're dwelling on? Like of all, like, here's this, here's like Paul McCartney, like rejecting you in an after party full of other famous people. And like, you know, telling you to like get, basically to get lost, but you're like so happy that he remembered the thing about the ninjas, which is really cool about Paul McCartney because Paul McCartney, that's like the personable part of Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney likes to pride himself as always being like very relatable to the average Joe. And you get that feeling when you see him in interviews. When I see him on podcasts and in interviews and stuff, when he talked with Mark Maron, who was super nervous, one of the most nervous times I've ever seen Mark Maron. 
Um, you, you definitely, he's definitely, Paul McCartney, for who he is, is still a very down-to-earth guy. I really believe that. I think that is true. But at the same level, it's almost like he must suffer. It's like a PTSD thing of like, oh my God, there's a guy. I don't know who he is. And he's fucking approaching me. Like, leave me the fuck alone. And using things that he remembers or using that personability to diffuse the situation by bringing up the ninjas, which is brilliant on Paul McCartney's part. So yes, Jericho acted kind of cringe, but he acted no differently than how I would act or anybody would act. And I really appreciate him. This is kind of an embarrassing story in a way, a little bit, you know, in a, you could spin it. And I think Jericho has done a great job of spinning it to be very self-deprecating, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, it is, it's kind of a, it's definitely a cringe, embarrassing moment. And like, he didn't have to share that with the anthrax summer. He didn't have to share that with any of us. He could have just kept that to himself, but clearly he's like a humble enough guy to recognize. And this is him recognizing. He was like, he says the last line of this thing is, I was like, he's had enough of me and that's cool. It's all good. In reality, Paul McCartney was probably super like flustered. Like, okay, I got to get out of here. Um, but even just to have an interaction with someone that great. But that's the other thing too. It's like you, you approach someone who you, who you like, who you revere, right? You approach someone who, who, who is, you know, the cat's meow for you. And then you have a bad time. You have a bad interaction. It's going to forever be linked to that thing. So in a way, maybe, maybe it's best to never meet Paul McCartney ever unless it's in a situation so crazy where Paul, where, where Paul McCartney has to, you know, interact with you on a level, whether he wants to or not, in a way where you can't have nothing but a positive experience. A great example, I would imagine it, uh, a situation where you're both somehow in a van traveling from one place to another. For whatever reason, you have to be in that van too. Maybe you're in his security detail and you're a huge Beatles fan or something. Although those, those guys probably get vetted like crazy to determine whether they're Beatles fans or not. Who knows? Or you're just a driver. You're a driver who's in charge of driving Paul McCartney. And you're both, it's just you and him in the car and he has no choice but to make conversation. That's going to be the most positive interaction ever because Paul McCartney is going to be like super down to earth view, super chill, turn on the Paul McCartney charm. But at the same time, like, you know, it's like a situation where like Paul knows you're supposed to be there. So he's going to like be charming. That's really what I'm trying to say, as opposed to being accosted on the street in a way that he doesn't and have a situation where he doesn't want to have, you, you know, he, he lives in the Hamptons sometimes. And you hear, I hear stories about like, you know, Paul McCartney being approached and stuff. And like, he just, just he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. I don't know. Um, in any case, hope you enjoyed that story as much as I did. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe. What would you have done? How would you approach Paul McCartney? What would you do in Chris Jericho's situation? Um, if you see any cool stories like this, send them my way. Uh, as all, oh, and check out the Patreon as always. Peace and hair grease.